guys, Drew here. I am live from my closet in Savannah, Georgia. Just wanted to pop in at the top of the episode to say thanks for listening, as well as to let y'all know that this episode was recorded on October 9th, 2021. It's taken so long to get this released because we wanted to make sure everything was just right before we put it out to the world. Um, But that being said, we're definitely still learning how this whole podcasting thing works, so bear with us if the audio quality isn't you know, quite yet up to up to par with what you're used to. We're going to be experimenting with different audio setups throughout the next few episodes, um, but we should have everything set up the way we want it soon. I also wanted to go ahead and plug a few things since we forgot to do so during the actual recording. So first, our Instagram is at olifonts underscore mc. That's O-L-I-P-H-A-U-N-T-S underscore M-C. Our email is olifontsmotorclub at gmail.com. Our YouTube is Olifonts Motorcycle Club. My Twitter is at Drew Felt. That's D-R-E-W-F-E-L-T. And Matthew's Twitter is at Mute underscore Matthew. That's M-U-T-E underscore M-A-T-T-H-E-W. Finally, We know that some people prefer to have the podcast in an audio and video format. So if you want to watch me play Minecraft while you listen to the episode, check out our YouTube channel for that. Again, that YouTube channel is Olifonts Motorcycle Club, and the link to that and all of the other plugs will be in the show notes for this episode. I think that's everything, so without further ado, let's get on with the show. Hey guys, welcome to Olifonts Motorcycle Club. I'm one of your hosts, Drew. And I'm your other host, Matthew. And today we're going to be covering chapters one and two in Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. Uh, but before we dive into that, uh, Drew, how's it going? Pretty good. Um, you know, I've been, uh, I recently moved to Savannah and I uh, never uh, lived there before and don't really, didn't really know a whole lot of people uh, when I was moving there. So I've been spending a lot of my time uh playing minecraft and so that's been nice um yeah it's uh, i recently so i've played minecraft for a while but i only recently started doing hardcore worlds Mm. um i'm not quite that hardcore (laughs) yeah and i never i used to not understand the appeal of hardcore um which is basically for those who don't know it's so you have your world on minecraft um and you can play in a survival mode where you can like fight monsters and stuff like that and you can get killed and if you uh you normally will respawn in the normal difficulty but in hardcore you lose that world that you've been playing on forever and so basically you get one chance to play the game in this particular world and once you get killed by something or you fall and kill yourself by accident or something like that all of that progress that you just did was lost um, and so, yeah, obviously it, because of that added level of like, you might lose something that you worked really hard on. I used to not understand the appeal of it. Um, you said you haven't done that either, right? Yeah. I don't think I, well, first off for the people listening at home, I also love Minecraft. I will not pretend to front. <laughs> um, however, I play it 
substantially less than you do. Yeah. Not because I don't play video games, but because my um addiction of choice is <laughs> MLB <laughs> the show twenty. <laughs> um yeah. so just or twenty one. Hardcore in its own way, I would say. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, you know, like it is repetitive as hell, but we we both relate to having a video game where you can just turn off the volume and listen to music mm-hmm. or podcasts. Yeah. Um and that's actually why we we're recording this is we're tired <laughs> of all those ones available. The ones that don't have us as hosts. Yeah. You know, I, I'm a textbook narcissist and so <laughs> I would really like to be able to play video game baseball and or Minecraft while listening to myself <laughs> talk. Yeah. Um, but but yeah we we each have the same kind of goal of some of our video game playing, which is just having something tactile. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's definitely part of it. And nice to just sort of like work towards a specific goal that you set for yourself, which I feel like both yeah. of those games are kind of like that in their own way. Oh, yeah. Definitely um, different. Like, I'm I'm going for the home run record. Yeah. You're, you're building... Um, uh, fighting the ender dragon yeah <laughs> um but above all it's like i feel like a freaking weirdo whenever i just sit by myself and listen to a podcast yeah like i have if i'm not driving i have to have something visual yeah. going on or i feel like i'm losing my mind yeah um yeah i love to listen to podcasts but like i feel like uh freaking uh will ferrell and talladega nights i don't know what to do with my hands that's right um so yeah, I but that that's a very long-winded intro to saying I don't play nearly as much Minecraft. Uh, so yeah. Drew, a lot of your um special uh farming and mob killing techniques <laughs> are totally lost on me. Um uh, I'm not particularly good either. Well, um, I've already lost several hardcore worlds ah, since well. I started playing well, hardcore. Y- you're at least not afraid to lose them. I'm I'm so terrified of losing my progress that I don't think I would ever willingly choose. Yeah. Well, I figured out I think that this is the best way to like sort of practice the game and like force yourself to make improvements in mm. like the actual playing of the game because gotcha. like you know if you die only a few days into your first game then it like or like only a few days into your first hardcore world that is um, you're gonna realize, oh, I didn't make it that far compared to how off, how far I'm used to getting mm-hmm. not playing on hardcore. Yeah. Um, and so like it, it's been nice to like. First of all, it makes me a lot more like cautious, which sometimes I need in that game, honestly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've like I haven't even like made it to the Nether yet playing like this. Um, but it's nice to like be forced to sort of improve. Yeah. Um, if I want to do the stuff that I like doing in the game, you know? Yeah, I imagine that it makes you a lot better at not just rushing headfirst into a yeah. room with, like, three zombies when, when it's, like, right. within a day or two of starting. Yeah, I like I I like that the stakes are higher because it makes me try harder, for sure. Mm. Um, yeah, and honestly, like, the, the one of the more fun... Uh, aspects of the game is almost always the beginning of an of a game yeah. like a new world on the game um, as opposed to one that you've been playing on for like several years or something like that um, i've never gotten that far but like 
see also I get tired of my world eventually. Yeah, see also every game of Civ that either of us have ever started. Yeah. It's like you play the first two hundred turns and it's like I'm yeah. out. Exactly. Somebody's <laughs> mad at me and I just probably Montezuma. So true. That bastard. <laughs> so true, bestie. Um so true bastard. <laughs> well, any um any particular I, I think one thing that I'm interested in with hardcore and one reason why I avoid it is like as bad as I am at coming up with structures to build in Minecraft, mm-hmm. um, I really do like being able to add and add on to like a base or a building yeah. that I've made. Have yeah. you found that that's either changed your priorities or like have you taken on any challenges despite the the pressure of just having one life before you lose it all? Um, a little bit. I so I'm definitely not really changing my priorities in terms of like. Like maybe spending less time working on my base, yeah. Um, because uh, I'm trying to like get to a finish line quicker or something like that. Um, but it does make I think it honestly makes me a little bit more likely to do some of the stuff that would it, I'd consider kind of like mundane. Mm. You know, like I don't need to travel across the these plains that I live in to track down that one donkey i saw because i want a donkey yeah um but it's at least something i know i can manage doing with where i'm at in the game and so it makes it so that i have a donkey earlier in the game (laughs) you know or something like that where it's like this will definitely be helpful but and it is no matter the play style that you're doing for minecraft but I don't know. It just makes it so that I'm more likely to do those things earlier on, gotcha. I think. And it's nice. Yeah. I I definitely relate. I think you said earlier, like, off of going off of how likely you are to kind of get, like, burnt out on some of the more mundane aspects. Mm-hmm. That is definitely a huge thing for me. Is like, I get to the point, even, even on a, a world where I'm working towards building some structure where I need, like, a lot of a particular resource. Yeah. I get so burnt out on resource farming. Yeah. Um, yeah, because that's all Minecraft is for the most part. It's like figuring out the best way to like hoard as many resources as possible. Yeah. Um, and then make like really Loki, creative builds. Loki problematic. <laughs> it's okay. You're like the only sentient being in those <laughs> games. <laughs> is there like a socialism mod for <laughs> Minecraft? <laughs> oh, on, on that note, man. Nothing hits me harder than the the guilt and shame of killing pixelated animals in Minecraft. Yeah, I know, right? Um, we're we're both um, well, t- I I guess technically we're both pescatarians. Yeah. When people ask, I usually say vegetarian, just because yeah. functionally, I I, I tend to prefer much more... a veggie option. Yeah, it's just that. Well, Drew now lives in Savannah, where there's all mm-hmm. kinds of seafood available. Yeah. And I've got family in Brunswick, South Georgia, and New Orleans. Yeah. And so it is incredibly difficult to to avoid it, like at family family gatherings. Yeah. Um, and like I'm not gonna deprive myself of good seafood if it's like immediately available to me. Yeah. Yeah. I um. But we, I'm we don't have to get into seek the. It out. Like if I was a meat eater, I would seek out meat more frequently. Yeah, it's very, it's definitely a passive thing, I think, for both of yeah. us, where it's like, I don't really hold 
it against people that eat meat, but I think people should eat less meat. So yeah. my version of that is 90% of the time being vegetarian and then like yeah. four or five times a year, like allowing myself to have shrimp or something. Yeah. That doesn't mean I'm like, like oblivious to the environmental impacts of it because that I think for both of us is a big reason why we stopped eating like red meat and pork, especially. Yeah. Um, but you know, Hey, nobody's perfect and it's not, it's not about being perfect. Mm -hmm. So it, it's about doing the best you can most of the time. Yeah. At least I think if, if more people approach it that way, I think we would probably have a healthier relationship with right. food choice. Anyway, I don't know how we got on that from Minecraft. <laughs> oh, it was uh, killing innocent animals. Uh, yeah, uh, it's okay. They're all their decisions are based on random number generators. I think so. Well, Drew, we we live in a simulation too. So, dang. Yeah. <laughs> so technically, yeah, you're a murderer. <laughs> uh, and on that note, uh, how are things looking in the Shire, Matthew? <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, they're looking pretty good. They're. Uh, <laughs> They're looking pretty festive around uh, <laughs> chapter one or so. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, let's, hey, let's go ahead and get into it. Yeah. Just a reminder for those of you who maybe didn't join us for our first episode or haven't gotten around to listening to it, we're reading through a couple of chapters a week um, mm -hmm. in Lord of the Rings. We're going to try and do all the books. Maybe even go into like The Hobbit or some of the yeah. Hey, um, I, I'll I if people wanted it, I'd try The Silmarillion, but hey. I think I'd probably read The Hobbit first. Yeah, I from what I've heard, The Silmarillion is pretty dense, but yeah. Hey, we we do it for you people. We <laughs> we do it for the good people of the world who want to hear <laughs> two jerk offs talk about Lord of the Rings. <laughs> um, but we're we're gonna record pretty much bi-weekly but put episodes out weekly mm -hmm. so just a reminder that nothing that we're going to discuss even in our personal lives is really time-based so don't feel like yeah. you gotta schedule this but we're gonna work our way through week by week and uh yeah. feel free to read along yeah um, it's intended to be softly intended to be a read along but you yeah. know definitely not required oh yeah hopefully no. enjoy this because let's be real most people who self-describe as lord of the rings fans are either enormous fans or have at least seen the movies. Right. Um, I would wager to guess there's not many people who uh, who would try a podcast like this, like without knowing anything about Lord of the yeah. Rings. So we're, yeah, hey, we're we're gonna spoon feed some stuff, but yeah, it's just so if you're not familiar with the books and the pacing and like maybe some differences between the movies and the books, mm -hmm. you you'll be able to get those here. Yeah, but also then the. It's very possible that it seems like we're spoon feeding certain information that seems like obvious, like who wouldn't know this, but also it's kind of our first time going through this really. So, oh yeah, like some things like definitely like first time I read this or yeah, when I was reading this first chapter, I did not know that like it takes place. The first two chapters take place over the course of like, 15 to 30 years <laughs> yeah oh yeah i will we'll get into that it seems like it's like over the course of an afternoon in the movie you yeah know? yeah we'll, we'll definitely when we get to that point in 
the book. We'll definitely talk about that for a while because that was one of my major notes that I wrote down mm-hmm. as like a huge departure from the films. Mm-hmm. Um, but in general, yeah, like we want to make sure we're setting up even characters that are pretty well known mm-hmm. in like the cultural consciousness. Like I feel like Gollum and Gandalf and Frodo to a certain extent are like fairly well known. Yeah. There there are some minor characters that anyone who's seen or read Lord of the Rings. I mean like mm-hmm. Mary Yeah, Mary and Pippin. <laughs> <laughs> the uh the cherry tomatoes from Return of the King. Um no, you know, I mean the same there's... guy that was the tomato in VeggieTales. Damn, for real? <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. Bob the Tomato, man. Yeah. I need to check out his IMDb. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard his average rating is not great, but that <laughs> hey, you the results speak for themselves. Yeah. yeah. He's got highs and lows in his career. <laughs> that's right, sure. that's right. Um but yeah, so like we're we're a lot of the time gonna be doing stuff for our own edification. Mm-hmm. Um and also just to make sure that we don't gloss over someone who will be like repeatedly featured in the chapters to come. Um, Cause a few people just kind of, they make like minor appearances really yeah, early I hope on. this gaffer character comes back. <laughs> I know. Come on. And also the, uh, the best boy, <laughs> man, well, they've got so many uh, movie set people yeah. on. No wonder they made it into a film. <laughs> Key grip. Yeah. <laughs> oh goodness. Those hobbits, they, uh, Every last one of them went to NYU film school. <laughs> I'm gonna say the Shire sort of uh, like the Georgia of um, Middle Earth. They just like they their tax laws make it. Oh yeah. So that like movies just do really well. Yeah. Did, if we filmed here. we didn't cover it in the prologue, but there's actually multiple paragraphs about <laughs> the um, historically lenient uh, tax code that allows for movie theater productions <laughs> to come into uh, the Shire. Um, you know, they, they're kind of trying to be like the Empire State of Middle Earth, I would say, <laughs> or um, uh, Hollywood South. <laughs> you know, the, the technology really needs to catch up, but surely you think... While we're, while we're on this, do you think they have like daguerreotypes in the in Middle Earth, <laughs> or do you, not? Do they have them? Because I don't think they mention them. But like, do you think they have the capacity to have such a thing? I bet if they put their minds to it, they could figure something out like that. Least, I bet like at least ten types. <laughs> could be. Um, I feel like if they ever needed something like that, the the writer would have been like. No, they were just so good at sculpting that they could just sculpt a picture. <laughs> yeah. They could actually sculpt one of the moving pictures yeah. from Harry Potter. <laughs> Whoa. How cool would it be to have a crossover episode Whoa. between Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter? Whoa. Screw this podcast. We're going in a new direction, people. Neville is the heir to the Longbottom Leaf yes. fortune. <laughs> yes. How has no one picked up on this? Slash, did she just rip that off? Like the name, yeah, could be. I, she'd probably say it was an homage or something, but like, folks, we can't trust J.K. Rowling anyway. Folks, we 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 don't like J.K. Rowling in this household. Yeah, that's fair. She, it, it's a similar thing. It's crazy to me to say that. Like, I almost like J.K. Rowling less than J.R.R. Tolkien for the more problematic aspects of their like, yeah. act, like actual lives, but right. like. It somehow she has <laughs> become worse 
Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's just because we're seeing, like, the opinions of her um, and her own actions unfurl still. Like, she's yeah. not done being, like, alive, so True. there's still more True. stuff that's going to happen with her, and she's probably going to be canceled even more at some point, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Um, or do something cancelable. Hey. Again, I guess. JK, you got plenty of time. Yeah. She speaks European Portuguese. What? Come on. Yeah. Brazilian Portuguese. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Oh, while we're on the subject, folks, we got a uh we got someone who's bilingue or however you <laughs> say it in this house. How do you say it um in Portuguese? Um I think it would probably be bilingue. I don't know if it would be bilingue or like bilingual. I'm not sure actually. Who's to say? But Drew Drew here knows some Portuguese. Or Brazilian, as I call it, um, <laughs> and parody. But <laughs> I, I just know a little bit of Spanish, so maybe we should. You know, it'd be cool. What if we got some versions of Lord of the Rings in some different languages? Yeah, that would be fun. I, I would like to maybe just in our personalized. I don't know how much fun that would be over the over yeah. the uh, information superhighway. <laughs> <laughs> Sign off if uh, you want us to do an entire podcast in a language that we aren't as good at speaking in. (laughs) Well, I I think we started to kind of lose the thread there a little bit, but thankfully I know we haven't started (laughs) chapter one yet, so we're still set up for success. This is going to be a classic example of the kinds of rabbit holes that we're going to go down (laughs) on this show. Hobbit holes. Hobbit holes too. Hey. Who knows? (laughs) We, um, we, would you say that we both our brains work very similarly in that our approach to basically everything is like word association? Yeah, that's definitely <laughs> like a key pillar of my uh, uh, sense of humor. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of times we are just gonna make boneheaded connections between like <laughs> certain words in this, like that are used in the book and like internet humor. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll see. We'll try and rein it in as much as we can for y'all. But uh, hey, hey, drop a comment down below. <laughs> Leave five stars. Let us know if you like the level of humor that we're <laughs> operating at. You won't hurt our feelings. <laughs> well, do you want to go ahead and jump into uh, chapter one? Yeah. Um. So I appreciated that the beginning of the chapter gave us a nice looking map. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It is again. We talked about this in the first episode, but. Mm. It is insanely helpful, especially with something with that features so many mm-hmm. locations that the characters travel to, to have a mental yeah. picture of relative yeah. scale, like placement of different yeah. things in relation to one another. So you're right. not constantly flipping back and forth. Yeah. Um, but like, yeah, I... Oh, this point B was so far from point A. And now I can compare where point C is in comparison to both of those places. And it's just like, it helps, especially because like the whole thing about these books is like, they're just going from one place to another. Yeah, it is. (laughs) It is definitely um, the story of many, many, many journeys all kind of connected together. Mm -hmm. Um, So it can get, I understand. I think it get it gets intentionally dull in places and intentionally mm-hmm. very exciting in others because that's just the nature of going on like I mean this is what yeah. essentially amounts to an expedition. Right. 
Um, but uh, so chapter one got the nice map in the yeah, preamble. Yeah, it's um, a part of the Shire. Um, and I like that it talks about the, shows us the farthings and whatnot. Yeah, it's just, it's a good looking map. Yeah. He's a, he did a good job at Tolkien. Also, while I'm thinking about it, I'm definitely, I don't know about you, Matthew, but I'm going to alternate between saying Tolkien and Tolkien and everything in between. There is nothing that I incorporate more fully into my life than pronouncing things multiple ways. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Matthew's also going to say dwarf. Yeah. Oh, (laughs) Jesus. Um, (laughs) Address it now. So again... Believe it or not, we do have girlfriends, <laughs> despite having just talked about Minecraft, um, <laughs> baseball video games, and Lord of the Rings for about 20 minutes. Um, my girlfriend gives me so much <laughs> hell. because, And I, I don't know why, I don't know how, but instead of saying dwarf, like dwarf, like I think one is supposed to, I tend to naturally say dwarf. It I think it is a little bit of a southernism, maybe yeah. just maybe. Could be. But I think it's a southernism in that like how often are most people saying the word dwarf? Yeah. So like dwarf, dwarf it just feels especially because dwarf. I've the older I've gotten I've slipped into more and more of a southern drawl. Right. I think I've also de-emphasized the necessity of pronouncing things yeah. quote unquote correctly. Yeah. So I, I let myself say dwarf. Yeah. I'm gonna say I, dwarf. Hey, I am pro dwarf. D O R F dwarf. This is a pro dwarf podcast. Um, hey. Yeah. Hey. And that's a, as good a segue as any into <laughs> there's a whole section about Hodorf. I'm pretty <laughs> sure. That's this book, right? <laughs> but um, so chapter one. A long expected party. Yeah. Drew, tell the people a little bit, set the scene a little bit, and then we'll get into uh, kind of the, the the plot of the chapter. So we talked a little bit in the last episode about who Bilbo Baggins is. Um, he's the cousin of Frodo, who's the one of the, yeah, I guess he's the main protagonist in like the classical definition of protagonist. I've always thought of him more as a foil person. <laughs> Yeah, he's um, the he's the main guy. Pretty yeah, more or less. Yeah. He's he's the Harry. Yeah. Um, so, somehow is the least interesting character yeah. and the main character, which maybe he's more interesting in the book, so we'll see. Yeah, maybe so. Not not that optimistic that he will no, be. Though. He seems pretty flat so far to be honest, but we'll we'll get yeah. into it. But it's in, he's already more interesting because at the when he goes on his journey, he's like 79 or something. No. <laughs> no, he's, he's like He's, he's the, like 50-something Yeah. Okay, so let's just go ahead and get that out of the way. Um, in the movies, like you, I think you even said it in as many words, in the movies, the time between Bilbo's party, which is the long-expected party, um, the time between this party and the the quest that is the Lord of the Rings appears to be like, three and a half hours or so (laughs) yeah in the book straight up it is 17 years (laughs) between bilbo's birthday party slash when frodo gets the ring and 
when they actually even just start when, to have like when Frodo even thinks notion. about what the ring is about. Yeah, for like over like over a decade, this man is just like, man, I'd really like to leave the Shire and go yeah. across the river. Sucks eh. that I can't. Sucks that I have no reason to. Yeah. <laughs> um. But sucks I gotta keep watching over this ring in an envelope that my cousin gave yeah me. but we're, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves yeah we are bilbo um, is living in the shire yep um, he, um so he's still living in his house of bag end which mm-hmm. is the name that uh bilbo lives in um in hobbiton which is the name of the i guess it's the town yeah i don't know we should know the the proper terminology after the prologue yeah i know <laughs> But um, but it was mostly genealogy and pipe weed. So what do you expect of me? <laughs> um, and yeah, Bilbo is uh, planning for his one hundred and eleventh, or as they say, it eleventy first birthday party. And Drew, you know what, Bilbo, this man doesn't look a day over eleventy. <laughs> <laughs> for real, no, he's. They describe him, and we know. Um, that it is because of his possession of the one ring or i guess we don't quite know yet if this is if we were only reading the book i guess we wouldn't necessarily know that but we know that because of like it's the same reason he's that age in the movies um the the ring keeps him a certain age yeah or looking a certain age and like is functionally immortal in a lot of ways but as he describes it, and like I think we see this with Gollum, and, and we'll talk about this when Gollum enters the story in earnest, but it it does kind of hollow you out. So he likens it in the book and the movie. I, it, like I think it's almost verbatim, like as butter yeah. being spread over too much bread. Like yeah. it just, you you feel like stretched thin. And yeah. so Bilbo really longs to leave the Shire and... Maybe not get into trouble quite like he did in the events of The Hobbit, but certainly explore the world, see maybe some of the old um, like uh, characters and individuals that he remembered um, from his traveling days, and to just and to see like mountains again. I think is the big thing. Hey, relatable content. (laughs) But um, so he he lives in a fairly nice Hobbit hole in Hobbiton. Yeah, he's. He's gosh, his his um people's perception of him is kind of all over the place. Like I think yeah. they recognize that he's more maybe not um they definitely successful. think of him as eccentric. Yeah, like he's recognized as having packed a lot more living into one life than than most hobbits certainly are used to. Yeah. But also people kind of have misgivings about his like odd like he'll be somewhat um he he won't be very forthcoming about a lot of the details yeah. of what he's been through, and I think he kind of likes yeah. being mysterious in that respect. Yeah, I he definitely sort of enjoys that, uh, like the fact that people have different perceptions about him. It seems like across the board, for the most part, the people that actually interact with him on a regular basis think he's a really nice guy. Yeah, you know, like the gaffer who's his gardener mm-hmm. um, is like, like yeah, he's a super awesome guy and would like defend him to anybody. Yeah, it's so it says at 90 he was much the same as at 50. At 99 they began to call him well preserved, but unchanged <laughs> would have been nearer the mark. 
It's all that plastic surgery. <laughs> you yeah. just get, you just take the the Brandywine Bridge over to Bree. Hey, they'll hook you up, man. <laughs> He's got them uh, concrete ass implants. <laughs> yeah, they, Tolkien doesn't talk about this very much, but Bilbo is caked up. <laughs> it is. It's actually. Um, it, it it gets in the way. It it renders him immobile quite a bit of the time. <laughs> you should see some of the illustrations. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah, yeah. Everyone's seen like some of like the the hand drawn map of Middle Earth or like uh, Tolkien's drawing of Smaug. Um, <laughs> his um his Rule Thirty Four of Bilbo is is something you know it's it's a piece de resistance. <laughs> um, and so what else is going on? Um, in this chapter after it starts talking about Bilbo's birthday. Well, basically, I mean, we, we touched on Bilbo is kind of getting, he, he explicitly talks about it later in the chapter, but the narrator kind of lays out that Bilbo is kind of yearning to, to get back out into middle earth and see the world and, and adventure some more. Um, and I think like the the kind of quiet pastoral life in Hob- in uh, Hobbiton, he really enjoys, but has like because he has had such a long life, he's kind of grown weary of it. Mm-hmm. But because it is his eleventy first birthday, mm-hmm. um, and all hobbits love an excuse as buttoned up as they have the capacity to be, mm-hmm. they love a damn festival, man. Yeah, and Bilbo is about to celebrate his eleventy first birthday. And paint the damn town red. Oh yeah. The the book describes him as having bought out the storehouses yeah. for pretty much anything you can think of for yeah. like miles. Hopefully, there's around. not like a major drought or something that happens. I, yeah, I know. Like he, <laughs> Bilbo is single handedly threatening the Hobbit economy. <laughs> he is he is hoarding the supply of of ale and uh, cake batter and. Um, tent poles and all kinds of stuff oh yeah but it basically sounds like they're having like literally either like a day long or multi multiple day like just super festival yeah like everyone's invited and even people who aren't invited freaking gaff as our scottish friends would call it. yeah bread and circuses call the gaffer (laughs) but every everyone is coming essentially and so this is going to be an enormous event um but the book kind of opens with the the preliminary stages of that event being set up. So there's the famous sign posted on the fence in front of his um, hobbit hole, no admittance except yeah. on party business. Like he he's got neighbors and relations of all sorts mm-hmm. dropping in on him to ask questions, yeah, to um to to pester him, and he's not interested. Yeah. But this is also uh, we start we're, we're introduced to Frodo his yeah. his cousin correct, uh yeah yeah Frodo was um he was orphaned his parents uh both like drowned in like a boating accident it mm. did say most hobbits don't know how to swim, um so you know that's just some something interesting that might come up later I have no idea yeah, if it will remember. or not but um <laughs> oh yeah 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 because towards the end of fellowship oh yeah. Sam yeah, they, and uh, Frodo in the water, or they're, try- they're not swimming, I yeah. guess. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, so Frodo was orphaned and was related to Bilbo, uh, and Bilbo like sort of took to him and uh, ended up naming Frodo his heir, 
Yeah. Um, Much to the frustration of some of Frodo's more um, proximate relations. Yeah. Namely the Saxville Bagginses. Yeah. The the Saxville Bagginses, they are pissed guys about this. (laughs) They're about to punch a hole in some drywall over this. Yeah. Do not give them any four loco. (laughs) Oh. Yeah. They're wiling out for sure. But consequently, Frodo and Bilbo are very close. Um, It it doesn't really go into much about the nature of Frodo and Bilbo's, like what their relationship functionally looks like most of the time. Seems but like it, they just hang out. Yeah, but it smoke it pipe weed together. It's clear that Frodo is intimately involved in helping prep the birthday yeah. party of nothing else. So it right. seems like he trusts him given how little he wants to interact with some of his family members. Yeah. Um and yeah. Oh, I did make note of the fact um so the gaffer that I've been mentioning um Bilbo calls him Master Hamfast. Um, I just thought that was funny. Got that fast ham. Man. I don't know what that's supposed to mean. <laughs> There's no telling. Ham fast. Ham fast. Maybe it's like a steadfast, but like yeah. you, you really stand behind, stand behind ham. <laughs> Who's to Is, say? I, I was loving these Hobbit names. Me too. Um, Will, Proudfoot. I love all the foot. Uh, iconography in yeah. the names. You can you can tell it's part of the part of the Hobbit culture. Yeah, Brantlebottle. Do you think <laughs> Brantlebottle for the for the unengaged is the only thing I could think of <laughs> as a last name for my D and D character in high school? Um, <laughs> I st- I stand by it. It's funny. <laughs> it is funny. Um, I like it more and more as time goes by. Yeah. Um, what I was gonna ask on a related <laughs> note, do you think? Let's be real. Uh, looking around to make sure no one's listening. <laughs> you think these hobbits would send feet pics in the year of our Lord twenty twenty one? I was just thinking about like what hobbits would look like in the modern day. I feel like there would be a lot of like in like the early aughts, late nineties. There would have been a lot of like suburban hobbits that like were really into like pop punk. <laughs> <laughs> they're really in the tech decks when they're younger yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> fallout um, boy but for hobbits that's and so idea. yeah I, I think that there would be some hobbits that uh oh yeah actually now that i think about it they would there would be some hobbits that were sending some pe- feet pics and there would be some hobbits that were like really into feet pics themselves <laughs> You think there would be people because because it's well documented how uh, do you think there would be like other races in the Middle Earth world that were like they were like really into Hobbit feet pics probably <laughs> probably dang I was gonna say like I feel like there's no mystery to them which might be part of it yeah because they're hey they're not they're not sneakerheads they're not hype beasts they just got these hairy leathery ass feet yeah just walking around uncovered for all the world to see. Yeah. So maybe maybe that air of mystery taken out of it renders them uh, not an object of uh, sexual <laughs> attraction. But who's to say, really? Yeah. Hey, in the absence of any input from uh, the author, we'll just have to assume that we're correct. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, bet, I bet there would be, in later years, there would be like a, a large-ish amount of uh, toxically masculine dwarves Oh, absolutely. That would, that would be that would you, take to Hobbit women. You know, like 
Because, you know, they apparently look quite... The dwarf women look quite a lot like dwarf men. This is true. And so it's like you'd think some would get tired. You know what? Now that you mention it, I used to think that they just sprouted up out of the ground. (laughs) 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 I guarantee you that dwarves in the year 2021 would be rise and grind ass people. Like they would be taking like selfies of how swole they were at the gym. Yeah. But skipping leg day. would be like mining for supplements. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. They're at like GNC, (laughs) just like combing through all the, all the different vitamins. What does GNC stand for? Um, I always read that logo as general notary company, but I know that's not right. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's general nutrition company, but, uh, yell at me in the comments if I'm wrong about that. (laughs) Um, I, I wouldn't know. I, um, but yeah, you just know you because you know that they're natural born sprinters, but not necessarily like endurance runners. You just know they're skipping leg day. There's no, yeah. there's no two oh, ways yeah. to it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> they do. They're they're not doing cardio at all. No, no. Um. So we've met Bilbo. We've met Frodo. Um. A lot of this chapter is really just describing the drama between different like families in Hobbiton and like the mm-hmm. different like especially the different like Baggins relations. And I yeah. gotta tell you, I'm getting like I get immense secondhand stress from like family members holding grudges. Yeah. I would not be able to s- cut it in this society. Oh yeah, shame. Um and and also Going back to how much supplies was required and how big of an mm. event Bilbo's 111st birthday is, did you notice that there's like way more planning going into this than the actual convening of the Fellowship of the Ring? Yeah. Like, th- somehow they put more thought into this party than like the scheme of the entire <laughs> series of books. Yeah. How? I guess we'll see, but like, yeah. That. Yeah, that seems like it's just always a coincidence that they're always that they're all there at the same time. Yeah. Um I probably just aren't am not paying attention enough at when they're showing up in the movie. Yeah. And um shortly thereafter, you know, and kind of as this is going on, the wizard Gandalf the Grey, um, who is also in the Hobbit for those that for the unengaged. Um <laughs> He rides into town, and he has not been by in some time, in in several years, it sounds like, but he is famous for bringing an assortment of, I would say, like, magical fireworks that are, like, incredibly popular, especially. just say fireworks, but, like, I feel like it's coming from Gandalf. We can assume it's magic. Yeah, yeah. And um, so he, he is loved by everyone for his like the like the party tricks that he brings to the table i would call them yeah um especially the hobbit children Mm -hmm. but um i mean one of the ones it mentions this both in the book and it's shown in the movie this this dragon firework that looks like it's swooping towards the crowd and is like fairly realistic yeah do you think that was a lot like the um the first movie where the trains coming at the the audience (laughs) Yeah. Like all these people just running for their lives. Like, yeah. hey, you, you idiots. It's a firework dragon, not a real yeah. dragon. Yeah. They don't know. Yay. These Shire folk have never even seen a real dragon, most of them. That's true. 
Um, oh, it mentioned uh, talking about the fireworks. Like, so it mentioned that something like it makes sense that Gandalf would be good at fireworks because he has like an affinity for like, like fire, fire white magic. Yeah. Um, I didn't realize. I mean, I guess he does. Like that's sort of his thing. But I yeah. had never. Re- I didn't realize that that was like. I just thought he his thing was just he's a like generic wizard. <laughs> Yeah, I I would if I had just because we've played It's like his specialty though, you know. Yeah, and we've played some some video games and like read other stories where magic is involved and it's it's mm-hmm. pretty common for there to be like an area of magical emphasis. But yeah. honestly, having mostly most of my frame of reference with it being the movies if you'd have pressed me, I would have said like light-based magic. So I guess fire is not that far well, off. Well, no, it said fire and light. Right, but but in the movies, like he's like usually like illuminating. Like I, he yeah. he seems more like a generic wizard with like some light right. based powers. Or it's just like his specialty. I mean, he's also kind of the prototype for a lot of fantasy True. like wizard tropes. So you know, his specialty just seems like the default. Yeah, I guess. I think we're both as opposed to like Radagast, where it's like. This guy's like nature, yeah, specific. I think really, but what we're mostly getting at though is that he is portrayed as like a fire expert, much more so yeah. in the book, like in like explicitly. Yeah. Um, never would have uh, painted him as a pyromaniac. Yeah. Um, but yet here we are. <laughs> yeah. And hmm, I feel like if there was one one guy that could. Because, like, you'd think he would be able to make whip up some kind of fire Truly. that could destroy the ring, you know? That's what I'm saying. Because, like, like, I get it if it's just Mount Doom yeah. that can destroy the ring. But then also dragons. Yeah. Like, any dragon can apparently destroy the ring. Yeah, how are we not looking for dragons? That, yeah. I also thought about that when I was reading. That kind of like, pissed me off. I, it it kind of makes sense because it's like dragons are their own thing and they're, like, you know, supposed to be these, like, hyper powerful beings but i don't know it's like it's a weird exception to make yeah nobody else can do it and honestly you know what you know you know how like it's a really common it's it's annoying as hell but like it's a really common trope for people to be like eagle truthers in the lord of the rings (laughs) yeah i am now a dragon truther in the lord (laughs) of the rings it's like how was going to mount doom any easier than like gandalf looking up in the phone book where some dragons yeah were. i think it mentioned that like they're all gone is basically what it alluded to yeah. but like are we sure they're all gone yeah you know like didn't did we think that the balrog was all gone yeah or and balrogs and damn it took gandalf like a decade to yeah, like I look know. up i mean stuff. maybe that's true he did a lot of pre-work before he talked to Frodo about the yeah. ring. And it's like maybe he like part of what he did was going to be looking for the ring. Yeah. Or <laughs> he found the <laughs> ring looking for a dragon and you just double check and triple check and even that there aren't dragons around. So so far just getting back to the plot a little bit. We've met Bilbo, yeah. 71st birthday party, we met Frodo, Gandalf is in town for the party. We're throwing the party. Um, everybody's having a good time, you know. Yeah. Eating, drinking, and being merry, but not. Or Pippin. But yeah, could be both, <laughs> perhaps. Um, but 
it's in the midst of the party and all of a sudden Bilbo gets up to give a speech. Mm-hmm. And although this will be revealed to the party goers, it's clear that he has ulterior motives at play beyond just thanking people for coming that relate to his desire to get out of the Shire. Mm-hmm. Um, so he essentially gets up, thanks everybody, right? And yeah. he essentially tells them, I like intend to be going now. I will not be coming back. Goodbye. And yeah. then places the ring on his finger and like a flash and a puff of smoke and he's invisible. Isn't this interesting that there's like Gandalf added of like a visual in the book? Yeah. Did yeah. you catch that? Yeah. I, I didn't. Was Frodo like in on the, in on it from the beginning I, in the movie? I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think he is either. Because um, like, I think he knows that Bilbo is capable of getting up the tricks yeah. And so isn't surprised by it. Right. But I don't think he... Because Gandalf has to explain the ring. Like, I understand, like, obviously, like, the problematic nature of it. But yeah. I think Frodo might even have a limited understanding of, like, what what the power of the ring even is. So. Yeah. Yeah. I also wanted to bring up in the in the speech he says i don't know half of you half as well as i should like and i like less than half of you half as well as you deserve and it wasn't until i could see this sentence written down that i could really work out the like syntactic structure of what he's trying <laughs> you have to, to map it out what the message he's trying to say <laughs> um but, but it it's is, actually it's a compliment <laughs> yeah i think it it is intentionally like I don't think you need to understand what he's saying to like because like it almost illuminates the kind of level of confusion that the hobbits have to hearing it mm-hmm. like they given their like mistrust of him do yeah. not necessarily interpret it positively even though he's essentially saying like I would like to know some of you better yeah <laughs> the, in the in the end. Um, but reg- like regardless x y and z yeah um but yeah that's it, you can definitely tell there's some hobbits in the crowd that are like screw you man yeah yeah it's like and i think that probably goes back to his sort of enjoyment of not being like universally liked mm-hmm. um is like his willingness to say something that's deceptively vague yeah you know yeah that's just interesting to interesting thing about I don't know it really it's just like I always think about that and I I always like try to work out what is said. Yeah. You know, I'm more of a uh proud foot proud feet man myself. <laughs> oh, that's a good bit of dialogue. That's in both movie <laughs> and book, so. Yeah. Um But anyways, so Bilbo gives his speech. He um with the uh, the ring on, he is able to slip out undetected and return to his hobbit hole. Yeah, uh, where Gandalf meets him, and mm. in the movie, he seems like pretty not upset, but he's like borderline frustrated with Bilbo. Yeah, um, for like doing it that way and like hurting like 
yeah. like messing with the other hobbits, essentially. He seems 100% on board yeah. in the book. I think partially because he doesn't understand the, the full ramifications of the ring yet. Yeah. Um, Gandalf is a lot more like stern. In the movies? In the books, I think. In, in the books, you're saying? Yeah, I got one thing in the next chapter that I'll talk about um, when we get to that, but... Yeah, I think it's compared to the movies in the movie this whole first section he goes from being very jolly like yeah. he's just kind of like a like a happy playful kind of presence yeah to being like kind of like a little bit stern almost like a parental figure right whereas in the books he kind of starts out and like stays pretty evenly at being like pretty skeptical i would say yeah um so it's a little more it's less all over the place yeah, but it yeah, I definitely can see what you mean. He um, he is kind of the academic of the of the bunch, yeah. so he's a little bit more like um, stern, I would right. say. Yeah. And yeah, another thing I wanted to bring up in general, and we talked about this with the speech, but it it was really impressive to me how faithful to the dialogue the right. Lord of the Rings movies are. I think that, and I think that they intentionally did that, especially for the very beginning yeah. of these movies. Um, I mean, like it has such a unique way of writing dialogue, yeah. That like it's pretty, like I think that the filmmakers throughout the movies were probably drawn to including as many direct quotes as possible, yeah. But I think that especially at the beginning, when it's like, you know, like. Prior to these movies coming out, I'm sure people were like incredibly excited to see the very first like high quality film adaptations of these books oh, that yeah. they already loved, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, like, they were going to be really comparing it to the books in the beginning. And then once they become sold on the movie a little bit more by hearing recognizable things. I think that the filmmakers bought them some freedom to deviate more because at the beginning they were they really sold the audience on like this is the same thing yeah. that you love already, you know. I think that Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy kind of took a page out of the Lord of the Rings filmmakers book in that in that way because it's you can definitely in the beginning it's like basically you're reading like Exactly. A novelization of the movie yeah. when you're reading the first couple of chapters of that book, yeah. you know. If if memory serves, there's not a whole lot else that happens at the end of chapter one. Um, yeah, not from what I can tell. Sackville Bagginses are they got it, it? It spends a lot of time talking about what the presents were, the birthday presents were. Yeah, um, because like in Hobbit culture, uh, when it's your birthday, you give people presents rather than receive them. Mm-hmm. Um, so it talks about all the presents that Bilbo gave to his relatives. And there are, a lot of them were like underhanded jokes and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so those were pretty funny. But after Bilbo departs, it is so funny how many of his relatives keep trying yeah. to steal his stuff. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking about like, this is very similar to the beginning of the Hobbit yeah. in that it's like a great deal of the opening scenes of the book are just like people being very rude to the main yeah. character in their own home yes and it is very obvious that these hobbits 
like if you if you're just not in the neighborhood for like a week, they yeah. will be like, "Well, he must be dead. Let's take all the stuff." <laughs> yeah, which not gonna say I respect it, but like they're at least pragmatic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, they're just not used to people going out of town. I guess. Um, yeah, they're they're like, "Well, vacation." Well, we're we're grinding. We're like those dwarves. Yeah. <laughs> or dwarves, excuse me. Now that I've called attention to it, I've stopped saying dwarf. But I'm You're a cured. I'm a I'm a proud dwarf sayer, so I need to stick to that. Dwarfer. Need to return to my roots. Um well is there anything else you wanted to talk about in chapter one? Um, just kind of broad strokes. Um it it is striking to me, A, and we talked about this at Oh, length. oh, oh. Oh, go ahead. I did think uh Gandalf also confronts Bilbo uh, about, like, you're going to leave the ring, right? Oh, yeah. Because he's leaving everything to Frodo. And Bilbo's, and like, he's said he's going to leave the ring, but uh, Bilbo's, like, kind of thinking, like, well, maybe I bring it. You know, yeah. it's a pretty good ring. He's getting real testy. Yeah. He's like, why should and I? It's so that's So Gandalf follows him back to Bag End um, when he leaves, or, like, when he has his disappearance after the speech. And so, uh, yeah, but he eventually convinces Bilbo that he needs to do that um, because, like, it's just, you know, like, this is really, we're seeing the first signs of, like, true corruption of Bilbo by the the ring. And like we said, hobbits, just something about their nature makes them a little bit less susceptible to it. Yeah. So rather than it being, like, all-consuming, like, for Gollum in The Hobbit and later on in The Lord of the Rings... It's more of just kind of he really just gets kind of like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Just kind of like testy. Yeah, like he really wants it. You can tell, but like, as opposed to Gollum, who like, upon meeting any sort of initial resistance towards keeping it, after only having seen it for like five minutes like immediately resorts to killing his very close relative you <laughs> to know, be fair like, it was his it, birthday it was his birthday you're right <laughs> we um, we can have a little bit of uh assault and battery yeah. and or uh murder on our birthdays right yeah but like bilbo was like i mean after like his crankiness he was kind of fine with giving it up yeah so that's basically everything that happens in chapter one you asked if there was any kind of like final thoughts on this yeah. chapter not so much the the content because I think we we covered pretty much everything, but um, it was interesting to me um, just kind of talking broad strokes about Tolkien's writing style. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we saw how dry and academic it can be in the prologue. Mm-hmm. It is very fast paced for how descriptive it is. I will say, yeah. Um, however, I don't know if this is just a personal thing or what. I tend to have difficulty discerning like emotional tone unless it's pretty explicitly written out. Right. And I kind of struggled with reading characters' reactions to things. I think his he writes characters that are not flat in any way, but he kind of wants mm-hmm. you to internally interpret how they're like putting the things that they're saying. Yeah. Like he he won't elaborate on like tone of voice a lot yeah which i'm fine with yeah but it it did make it read a little bit more like a script yeah does that make sense yeah um 
Yeah, I, I've noticed before, it's it's a little bit hard to figure out his intention yeah. with a particular line of dialogue. Yeah. With like, what is he trying to convey about the character when they say this? Yeah, and so I think, you know, like a little bit earlier, we were talking about Gandalf, and like, I, I see exactly what you mean with him being a little bit more stern um than in the movies but i almost i like i literally wrote a wrote wrote a note down that says he seems more passive to me so it's like those aren't mutually exclusive necessarily but it's like we had two totally different reads on gandalf just based on like our interpretation of like yeah line delivery so my interpretation of gandalf is largely informed by one quote in chapter two Mm. um so I, I well, guess true, since we're talking true. about it, I can go we're ahead and bring it up. We're not there yet. So we'll talk about the other stuff in chapter two eventually, but uh, there's one part where he's talking about the like the ring and how it works to uh, Frodo. And where is it? I'm flipping through the book right now. So I believe you're you're going to want to look somewhere in the range of the like page forty. Yeah. 44, 45. That's when Gandalf returns. Yeah. You you want to just save it till we get there? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's fine. I'll I'll keep looking for it. So um moving from chapter 1 to chapter 2, I think we talked about it up top, but goodness gracious, it is almost 20 years before yeah. anything of like it, it, I think it's one sentence. That yeah, covers it's just it. like 12 years past. Yeah. <laughs> so it makes sense contextually, and we'll get into it, but after... Especially when you're coming into it picturing, like, 20-something-year-old Elijah Wood. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Bilbo, by the time that anything of real consequence happens between Bilbo departing the Shire after his birthday party and, yeah. like, the, the, the story beginning in earnest... Frodo goes from being 33 years old, which mind you is like incredibly young for a hobbit. Yeah, it's that that's like the big like literally when you come of age as a hobbit. Yeah. To he I don't think he's any younger than like 50 years old in the events yeah. of The Lord of the Rings. And yeah. so, yeah, you're right. I am just exclusively thinking of Elijah Wood's face yeah. and picturing him being like an old man playing yeah. Frodo. And to be fair, he isn't he doesn't look as old as he is because right. he also he, now he has the ring yeah. and is uh looking quote unquote well preserved. Yeah. But but even still, like Elijah Wood is a young person to yeah. be playing Elijah Wood, Frodo to begin with. When he with. was playing Frodo didn't look thirty three years no. old. <laughs> um so yeah, essentially, Frodo now has possession of the ring. It's just in an envelope that he's yeah. safekeeping. Honestly, I don't even know why he does wait as long. I, I guess it's because like there, he doesn't decide to leave until Gandalf approaches him and is like, "Hey, you need to destroy this ring," but. From a storytelling perspective, it kind of doesn't really add anything that Gandalf has to leave after the party and learn more about the ring before he decides to... Like, it could ju- just have been, as it is in the movies, it could have just been, like, uh, doesn't Gandalf already knows everything about the ring. And, like, I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it is 
the exact same setup as in the book, just on a much more condensed time scale. So yeah. like in the movies, it's presented as Gandalf knows some things about it, but seeks counsel from Saruman. Um, oh, does it have that in there in the beginning? I believe so. Essentially, he it might not be Saruman, but he is reading up on a bunch of texts yeah. and like is fleshing out his knowledge and like is like kind of like mentally speculating about like the yeah. relationship I know that I, between like Gollum and the ring and yeah. like um, the history of how it passed into Gollum's hands, which yeah. does get into a little bit um, later in the chapter. But Gollum's return, or not Gollum, Gandalf's return to Bag End is like a little bit more... Um, like immediate feeling. Yeah, in like... In both cases, he's um, paranoid and like, it, like, mm-hmm. is it secret? Is it safe? Because yeah. he now knows the nature of the ring and knows yeah. what must be done. It's just that in the book that he takes 10 years to research, right. which honestly seems a little bit more realistic. I understand yeah. why they couldn't do it in the movie. But yeah. Frodo is just basically, he is living with the ring in his possession, gleaning some of the benefits of, or I guess benefits is kind of uh, in the eye of the beholder, but he is like getting some of that unnatural aging. He's also emboldened to travel a little bit more because he's in the possession of the ring. But but that could also just be, he like heard Bilbo stories growing up and is like the rare hobbit to be inspired by that sort of like Samwise. Yes. So, Frodo's Frodo's just leaving, leaving, living. He'll be leaving soon. Um, <laughs> we're we're introduced to his his friends. Um, yeah, Drew, you want to take over on this? Uh, yeah. So I mean, it talks about um, most importantly, it talks about uh, Samwise, I guess, um, who is the son of the gaffer. Um, seems like my favorite character is the gaffer, based on how much <laughs> I'm talking about him. <laughs> Um, they just got a really good soccer coach in that club yeah. <laughs> in that town. <laughs> um, and yeah, he's the gardener of. Uh, he's sort of like an apprentice, I guess, yeah. to uh, the gaffer who is the gardener for the Baggins. Um, and so he's just like he's around Bilbo's age and is pretty good friends with him. Um, and he's like obsessed with elves. Yeah. Um, he. He, does he sort of read as a Carl Weezer type character more so in this? Oh goodness, I don't know how we go that far. That's a little he, bit uncharitable. But I don't know why he comes across that. Well, not in not in an unflattering way, but you saying he's just he's also caked up. <laughs> he, <laughs> he I don't know. I built like a blueberry. I think it's just that he's got sort of like this one track mind about elves. Um, um, I would, and he's like kind of the like. He, he to me just kind of reads like a stereotypical like. I want to like. I want to get out of this town and see the world type. Like even yeah. for a hobbit, like he's yeah. like his version of that seems very dumbed down of like, Hey, he's never been outside of the County line. Like he's very Southern yeah. in that way. He, yeah. um, he just reads as like a very like earnest and like, like a, an earnest person of simple pleasures yeah. who like does not infrequently encounter people from other places that are just traveling through and is like very intrigued by the notion of leaving of leaving Hobbiton but hasn't really had the means or right. a reason to do that yet. Yeah. Um but I do see what you're saying. Like he seems he he honestly reads a little bit uh more like as like a little bit more dense than he's presented in the movies. Yeah. He's sort of 
sort of like the difference between like Ron in the books and Ron in the movies. Yeah. Of Harry Potter. Yeah, I would agree um, with that. Yeah, just I mean, like we also are just introduced to him in this, and it's like he's not a particularly fleshed out character yet. We also it we haven't really met them yet, but it does mention his other two friends. Mary and Pippin, or yeah. Mary Doc Brandybuck and Peregrine Took, respectively. Yeah, if you want their <laughs> Christian name. <laughs> um, but I, I am pissed. I I am so upset. It also mentions two other friends that he has by name that are not in the movies at all, as far as I can remember. And Wait, really? Yeah, Falco Boffin and Fredegar Bulger. Those are so like those are insane <laughs> names, but. I, I I want justice for both of them. <laughs> they they should feed they should have been in the fellowship. Can you imagine? Yeah. Falco? Falco <laughs> Boffin? That sounds like a Star Wars name. Are you kidding me? Yeah, it does. Um They they're they're their own main characters in their own story. That's true. They could have written their own books hey, once this, lost to time. Once this enters the public domain, <laughs> I am writing a treatise for Falco. Oh, nice. But um, really the, the biggest thing in this chapter prior to Gandalf coming back is we kind of get the stage set for kind of the, the way the world of Middle-earth has changed mm-hmm. since Bilbo has departed. There's yeah. obviously, this it, is a world much like many fantasy worlds where good and evil are constantly at odds with one another yeah. and there's periods of peace and war as a result yeah and like so bilbo's even though like the hobbits live in a very secluded part of middle earth uh just like due to certain cultural practices as well as i guess some geography um but even still they're like getting word from down the road and stuff like that that like strange things are happening uh, throughout Middle-earth, and that's sort of coincided with Bilbo's leaving. Not that Bilbo's leaving caused it, but it has yeah. coincided with that. And Yeah, and, there, and there's people, you know, dwarves, elves, presumably men, given how close they are mm-hmm. in proximity to some, like, enclaves of what are yeah, essentially... like in Bree. Yeah, there, there, there are just... is the A one-to-one, like human race right in in the in the books um and like as they pass through the edge of the territory where hobbits live they're telling these tales of like um like growing like evil it's it's kind of like it's a little bit more um nebulous of an idea like it's it's really referred to by the hobbits as this sort of like distant strangeness yeah. repeatedly of yeah. like they they have this sense that things aren't going great i would really liken it to like how most americans treat our foreign wars of like i know that like we are fighting overseas but like it doesn't right. i don't see it in my life really so yeah. we might as well not be yeah and i don't think they have a sense of yeah like, there's not like a sense of urgency really yeah like it's not that they're unaware it's just it doesn't have any practical bearing on their lives yet yeah it specifically mentions um uh, it seems like a lot of their maybe maybe this isn't necessarily true but it does mention that uh the there m- more and more as time goes on there are elves moving westward through the shire yes. yes um so that they can reach the gray havens which we don't really know much about 
Um, but it's some sort of like elven paradise. Yeah. We also, yeah, I mean, we we've already talked about Sam, but um, he's at the Green Dragon getting a couple of pints, presumably. Yeah. Um, did you catch that he was um, speculating about the Ents this early on in the story? Oh yeah, that's so yeah. cool. I yeah. um, I mean, I think that's one of many many examples of. Yeah. It's not even foreshadowing so much as like reminding you how like varied the the creatures of this world are, and also yeah, like, and also like the the level of information to spread. Yeah. In this world, and like the the extent that that happens at all. Yeah. And like I don't, I don't even think he re- he calls them ints by name. I think he just refers to like tr- moving tree people. Yeah. That or and he didn't even see them. It was just like secondhand. But yeah, it's like yeah. I think maybe in the story it's understood a little bit better that like this is not a common occurrence. Like maybe odd yeah. things are afoot, either related to like the growing like like danger in Middle Earth or just mm-hmm. in general. Like think, hey, they keep calling everything. Hey. Let it be known now, the wor- the world of Middle Earth is queer as folk. It is. <laughs> they, they just keep talking about all these queer wizards and elves. Yeah. Hey, J.R.R. Tolkien, he's 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 kind of a uh, progressive. <laughs> kidding. Oh, yeah. it's very obviously meant in like the English, like more just like strange right. kind of sense. But I did think that was funny. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, um, I, I guess this kind of takes us into Gandalf's long-awaited return, right? Yeah. Um, and so, it said that, like, Gandalf was, uh, he, for a while there, was frequently, because he told Bilbo that he would keep tabs on Frodo. Right. Um, and so, he was doing that, uh, like, fairly frequently, like, coming back once every couple of months or so for a while. But then it, it ended up ceasing um, pretty much entirely, and Frodo was like, "Well, I guess he's never coming back." <laughs> yeah, and he just sort of accepted it at that point. But then, uh, Gandalf does end up coming back, uh, and he's like asking about the ring and stuff. And yeah, he's he now gives us the the story of the ring yeah. through a conversation with Frodo. Yeah. Um, so do you, I mean, it's, I, I don't know that it's necessarily discussed in depth to this point in the story or maybe even at all in the books. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we are about to hear from Gandalf the story of how the ring changed hands over time. Yeah. A- am I just dumb or like, does it ever address why these rings were created other than that Sauron made them just as a powerful weapon? Like, is it any more in-depth than that? Yeah, it's definitely pretty vague about like the way that they could be used as a weapon, at least uh, as far as we've read. Right. Um, other than it just makes Sauron very powerful if he has the one ring. It could be that like so i from what i understand it's mainly a control thing um because you saw how he like there were the nine kings of men or whatever and they each got a ring and then they became the ring wraiths which are like sauron's biggest and most powerful servants right um and that didn't necessarily pan out for like giving him to the elves but it could have also been a like he was doing this at a time when 
he didn't necessarily want to come across as all out like evil right. to the other powers of Middle Earth, and so it's like sort of like fake PR. Like I made you um, elves these nice rings as like a diplomatic thing, but really it's like he had other like sort of like keep your uh, enemies closer kind of yeah thing, you know. So it might be that, and like similarly, the the dwarves didn't really. Giving them rings didn't really do anything for him because they just ended up getting destroyed by dragons. Yeah. But, yeah. I think he was probably trying to get as many, like, ring races as possible. Yeah. Um, is my guess. I'm not really sure, though. And I'm not really under... I didn't really understand the... We don't really understand the process of becoming a ring wraith no you know yeah i don't think i've just like they were given these rings and then they i think it might address it later when they when they enter the picture in this book yeah because i do remember them being discussed as like just being corrupted in some way yeah it seems like they're like sort of the ultimate form of corruption yeah these rings have the power to create a lot of the and i actually appreciate this i want to be clear a lot of those kinds of processes Mm-hmm. are not really discussed in depth beyond yeah. just like a character kind of offhand referencing like the 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 reason that something happened but i think because the like level of technology demonstrated in these stories is like i i, I think we would agree like broadly analogous to medieval europe they like their ability to understand that information is only as good as their access to information and yeah. most people are still like hearing about this stuff through like oral tradition like there are excellent records kept and plenty of books but it does seem like you have to have power and wealth right to really access that yeah um man kind of regressive if you ask me (laughs) um they need to have some free public libraries (laughs) but um but before we get into the story of the ring as we understand it and to be perfectly honest i'm going to kind of lean on the movie's introduction Mm-hmm. Um, because Gandalf does talk about it, but like, especially Isildur obtaining the ring is kind of glossed over in the book. Yeah. But essentially, Gandalf approaches Frodo. He's, he's, he seems moderately worried. Like, he's, he wants to ensure that the ring is not falling into anyone's hands. Frodo, yeah. Frodo reassures him, but then Gandalf goes about demonstrating to him proof that this is not just. A, a magical ring because th- there are magical elements to this world. Yeah. It is the one ring, like the ring of power. Right. So like any good scientist would do, he just throws that, that ring in the fire, man. <laughs> he, he, but it's quite cool. It is. You can cool. touch it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. and when he casts the ring into the, um, the fireplace in bag end, it reveals in glowing script the uh, like a ring of elvish but it's not mm-hmm. any elvish uh dialect it's the language of mordor correct mordor correct yeah it's uh they i guess the language of mordor just co-opted the like script yeah. the elvish script and it gives one piece of this i guess you would call it a prophecy yeah, or like a, I don't know, some some kind of verse. Yeah, and, um, it, and we referenced it in our first episode, but just in full, it it, it 
gives a component, one ring to rule them all, one ring to find them, one ring to bring them all and in the darkness bind them. Um, the full thing kind of explains the other rings too. Yeah. Three rings for the elven kings under the sky, seven for the dwarf lords in their halls of stone, nine for mortal men doomed to die, one for the dark lord on his dark throne, in the land of mortal where the shadows lie. And then the one ring to rule them all spiel. And yeah, yeah it just reemphasizes in the land of Mordor. Um, so this ring just has a piece of that, but it yeah. is specifically referencing the the power of the one ring and mm-hmm. its ability. I, I assume maybe not in as many words, but to like bring in all of one's enemies and like for them to meet their ultimate demise. Like it is a, it is a, all-powerful weapon essentially mm-hmm. um because not just of it i mean it would be one thing if it was just invisibility but it's literally like it attracts them to to the dark lord sauron yeah <laughs> which is pretty wild um and frodo is losing his mind <laughs> oh my gosh he is yeah. just as yeah, I wouldn't call it whininess necessarily. <laughs> he is so, like, he is such a fraidy cat in the book. He's like, I understand what must be done with the ring, but I'm so frightened, basically. <laughs> he's just a He's just a little lad who loves berries and cream. He can't destroy this thing. Um. So, Gandalf then. He he understands that Bilbo is familiar with how Bilbo got the ring, maybe even up to and including Frodo is familiar with how Bilbo got the ring. Right. With um up to and including maybe even Gollum being who Bilbo got it from. Um mm-hmm. maybe not Gollum's backstory, but um Gandalf proceeds to kind of outline how it came to be that the Ring of Power was transferred from mm-hmm. uh, Sauron to mm-hmm. Isildur to Gollum to yeah. Bilbo. Yeah. So um, what's your kind of understanding of of that process? Uh, so basically, like, first time around when Sauron was, you know, F and S up. <laughs> Whoa, Drew. <laughs> this is for, this is this podcast is for rated G. <laughs> Um, the the armies of men and elves teamed up so that they could fight the forces of Mordor, and Isildur was one of the guys like sort of leading the charge, and he ended up cutting the ring off of Sauron's fingers, and he ended up taking the ring for himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know that's where we get the whole like cast it into the fire thing from the movie. And Isildur, long story short, Isildur doesn't cast it into the fire. He keeps it for himself. Right. Um, and But then he, the ring ends up betraying him at some point because, you know, it's important to remember that the ring is sort of a um, sentient being in its own way that's sort of acting in accordance with uh, Sauron's will. Right. Yeah, so Isildur, it seems to me, from what I understand, that Isildur, or sorry, Sauron is defeated in body but not necessarily in like essence yeah by it's sort of a uh, for the harry potter head it's sort of a horcrux <laughs> for sauron so after after isildur comes into possession of the ring sauron 
retreats into Mirkwood Forest, which I believe mm-hmm. is the same forest from The Hobbit. Yeah. Um, basically just like perpetually dark. There are some like mm-hmm. kingdom of kingdoms of elves in there, mm-hmm. but um, Sauron presumably would have had like space to like regather his strength. Yeah. Um, before kind of like occupying Mordor and kind of spreading out and trying to like re- literally like conquer the rest of Middle Earth. Mm-hmm. But Isildur, just like in the movies, he he comes into like the midst of a battle with mm-hmm. some with some orcs, mm-hmm. um, which for for those who are unfamiliar with orcs, how would you describe them in terms of like their character archetype? Um, they're just bad dudes. Yeah, they're kind of low key problematic. <laughs> <laughs> they're um so talking about like corruption, they're supposed to be like corrupted elves, mm. um. Because a lot of the like evil magic of Mordor is based on this like concept of corruption and stuff like that, um, which we can talk about at some point in a later episode how that relates to like Tolkien's like larger philosophy and how it relates to like Catholicism specifically. Yeah. Um, but it is, yeah. And so they're basically just these like brutish warrior people. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and they're just. Yeah, they're like I said before, they're these bad dudes. And it'll probably describe them in greater detail in terms of yeah. how Tolkien envisions them. In I the think story. he, especially in The Hobbit, he sort of uses the term orc and goblin interchangeably, yeah. but they become more, as the story goes on, it seems like they become more distinct. Yeah. Just groups. It, it might be helpful to think of them as some really messed up looking goblins, basically, but like brawnier, yeah. I would say. Yeah, like, like tall. Goblins. Yeah. Like seem like capable warriors but definitely kind of the same like kind of elven ears you know, beady eyes fangs the whole nine yards yeah um they're definitely frightening looking yeah um but isildur gets into a fight with them he is um sh- shot dead with arrows and he drops the ring of power into um the andui river <laughs> <laughs> You know those those Cajun hobbits. They they love their Anduin. Um, no, it's Anduin. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. But um, that is where, as we got into in the previous episode, if you haven't listened to it, Gollum and his brother encounter the ring, mm-hmm. and Gollum eventually comes into possession of it. Yeah. Bilbo wins it in a game of riddles and escapes, and that takes us up to present day. Yep. But. I think a lot of the story of Gollum was somewhat unknown to Gandalf prior to his like in-depth research. And he had some like misgivings about it, but it sounds like he had to kind of speculate and do some research and talk to Uh, a lot of people before he kind of connected everything. Yeah. But he specifically mentions that um, Gollum has like flirted with like, leaving the cave that he was in in the hobbit and like making his way to mordor mm-hmm. like drawn yeah like after losing the ring he like kind of sought it out and so it it goes from being effectively hidden in the shire to yeah sauron understanding that it might very well be located there yeah so bilbo and gandalf Frodo, or sorry, Frodo and Gandalf, but especially Frodo, starts to freak out when he realizes, like, I need to leave. Like, th- yeah. this is unsafe for everyone here. But he, he, it, 
doesn't feel capable of necessarily like carrying out the destruction of the ring. Yeah. Um, but it, it seems as though Gandalf wins him over in like I- imploring him to go on this journey to destroy the one ring right in the fires of Mount Doom. Yeah. But you know what? This whole time, what, what, what's been going on outside the window? Well, they, We've been talking about like potentially the most important thing in the entire universe of this story. <laughs> Old Sam. Old Sam. Well, he he's just trimming those hedges. Yeah, but he stopped trimming the hedges because he needed to drop some eaves. That's what I'm saying. He um yeah, I mean his just you know he loves hearing these types of stories and stuff like that, and so yeah, he was just naturally drawn to start listening. And but you know Gandalf eventually picks up on it and. Snatches him through the window and is like, "I caught you." Uh, <laughs> and so nose. he he makes it. He makes Sam promise to go with Frodo. But Sam, um, Sam compared to Frodo is like we said, he's excited to see the world and see some elves. Yeah. he's stoked on this. Yeah, he's which I think happy. helps Frodo get a little yeah. bit more. Um, like I think he no longer feels like alone in needing to carry this out, and feels like with some support he might actually succeed. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I, I that more or less takes us through the end of chapter two. Yeah. Frodo and Sam now know about the Ring of Power, its nature, and the nature of what must be done to save Middle Earth from Sauron. Mm-hmm. Um. And I guess we'll find out mm-hmm. what happens next when they embark. Um. So any final thoughts about this chapter or the first two chapters collectively? Um. No, I think we I think we pretty much covered everything that I wanted to talk about. Um, yeah, just the thing that really the largest deviation from the film that was made it most notable to me was just that time scale yeah. difference. Um, but you know, really it's just like a matter of like how the the author of the book versus the filmmakers wanted to like set up the narrative and it yeah, they obviously are afforded different levels of freedom when it comes to pacing of stories. Sure, and so definitely makes sense, and I think that it makes more sense to do it over the course of time in this, um, when all the factors are considered. For sure, it it is striking just how quickly it goes from feeling like a slog to feeling very exciting. Kind of, yeah. it's not quite like. And and this is neither a compliment nor a diss, but like it's not like a Tom Clancy novel or something. Like <laughs> we're not talking like you you have to stay up to finish it, but like yeah. you, I feel compelled to learn more about what's going to happen yeah. next. In- yeah, and well, I'm sure we will get our own version of uh, slogs. Especially, I've heard this book in particular is a lot of just like they're just walking. Yeah, <laughs> but I am excited to see. Because one of the one of the best things about the movies, in my opinion, is the degree to which the action set pieces are just like awe inspiring and they're very action packed. I'm excited to see what that looks like in the book because I know it's not going to reach that level. Yeah. But like comparing the the battle sequences to just exposition about hobbits, I'll, I'll be interested to see the difference there. Right. But yeah. Yeah. That well, takes us through chapter two of yeah, so, the Fellowship of the Ring. Yeah. Next time we will be covering chapter three, 
three is company. And chapter four, a shortcut to mushrooms. Very nice. Love me some mushrooms, so I'm excited for that one. Quite fun. Well, thank y'all for joining us again on Ollie Font's Motorcycle Club. You know what time it is. Smash that freaking like button down below. (laughs) Drop a five-star review. Join the Patreon at the $999 tier. Hey, whatever you got to do. Show up, show out. Let the world know. You ride with Ollie Font's Motorcycle Club. Vroom, vroom. That's right. Bye, y'all. See ya.